Hello, welcome to this, the fifth of our Pensions 22 podcasts. This is a series of podcasts produced by Osborne Clark and designed to help you navigate the key pensions issues which are likely to arise this year. My name is Jonathan Hazlett, partner and head of pensions here at Osborne Clark. I'm joined today by my colleague Alicia Kane, an associate director in our team. Today we're going to talk about pensions dashboards, which have been built to revolutionise the way individuals interact with their pensions. So perhaps Alicia, you could start by explaining to us exactly what a pensions dashboard is. Sure. Put simply, a pensions dashboard is a digital platform where an individual will be able to see information about all of their pension savings in one place. The idea of the dashboards is that individuals will be able to see how much they've saved and what sort of income they can expect to receive when they retire. This might prompt them to increase their pension savings. Okay, and so why are pensions dashboards being introduced? Well, there are a few policy reasons behind the introduction of dashboards. Perhaps the most important one is that, generally speaking, young people aren't saving enough for retirement. This could be because retirement seems a long way off when you're young, so you're less likely to be engaged with your pension or perhaps have more immediate demands on your money. Or it could be because young people haven't been educated on how much you actually need to have saved to live comfortably when you retire. And that's not easy to work out. Another reason is that, believe it or not, the average person will have 11 different jobs in their lifetime. This could mean they've paid into 11 different pension pots and may have lost track of some of them. So pensions dashboards will enable them to identify and reconnect with some of those lost pension pots. So how are pensions dashboards going to work in practice? So the Money and Pension Service, or MAPS, is in the process of building the first pensions dashboard. And following that, providers in the wider pensions industry will be able to establish their own versions if they wish. The dashboards are just the front end of the system. They're the platform where users can view information about their pensions. Sitting behind the dashboards is the digital architecture, which has been built by a specialist arm of MAPS called the Pensions Dashboard Programme, or PDP. The back end of the system relies on trustees and pensions providers being connected to the digital architecture so that data about members and their pension savings is fed into the system. It'll therefore be a legal obligation for all pension trustees and pension providers to connect, and this even includes the state pension. The aim is that when an individual logs onto a dashboard to search for their pensions, all of these will come up. Okay, so am I right in saying that the dashboards will operate a bit like a search engine? Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Individuals will access a pensions dashboard on a computer or a device. They'll be asked to enter some personal data about themselves, such as their name, their NI number, and perhaps their date of birth. That data is firstly used to authenticate them, and then it's sent into the dashboard ecosystem by a function called the Pension Finder Service. So that data is known as the find data. The Pension Finder Service doesn't store any data itself. It just acts like a switchboard, or as you said, a, a search engine. The data is kept by trustees and providers on their own systems, which must be connected to the digital architecture so that the Pension Finder service can access it when a user sends a match request. I see. So if there's a match, then the individual will be able to see the information. That's right. 
If the Pension Finder service identifies a match or multiple matches, it will firstly show the user very basic information about the pensions it's identified. If the user then wants to view more detailed information, they must select the pension they want to look at and go through another consent and authorization process. The success of the matching depends, of course, on the quality of data held by trustees and providers. So scheme data needs to be accurate, readily available and in a standardised form. So what should trustees be doing now to prepare their data? There's quite a lot to do and in the interactive PDF we set out a thorough list of the recommended actions. But to mention a few key ones now, trustees should review their scheme data against the items that are going to be required for the pensions dashboards and put a plan in place to complete any gaps. They should also make sure that the scheme data is in the correct format for sharing with the pensions dashboards. If any data is still in a non-digital format, trustees should, find, should work out how to make that available digitally. Trustees should also work with their scheme administrator or software provider to work out what the best approach will be for matching their scheme data to fine requests. Okay, so it sounds as though there's going to be a lot of personal data flying around. What are the legal risks associated with that? Well, there's certainly a risk of falling foul of data protection laws, whether that's through a data breach or because of a cyber attack. A data breach could occur if the wrong information is sent to the wrong person, and that could happen if the trustees haven't got the correct formula for matching data when a fine request comes through. Trustees will have some discretion over which data elements to use for the matching process. This might depend on how complete their data is. Those data elements need to contain enough personal data that potential matches are picked up by the Pension Finder service, but should not be so wide or generic that the data could be attributed to the wrong person. If data is shared with the wrong person because of an inaccurate match, this would be a breach of data protection laws and the Information Commissioner's Office could intervene in the usual way. On a similar note, trustees should make sure that their cybersecurity is robust and they should have systems and policies in place to deal with potential cyber attacks. If a cyber attack were to occur, the ICO would look closely at what steps trustees had taken to prevent it. So if trustees don't comply with the new dashboard requirements, what would be the consequences for them? Well, the pensions regulator will supervise trustees compliance with the dashboard regulations and it has powers for dealing with non-compliance. These include issuing a compliance notice against trustees or where the non-compliance has been caused by another person other than the trustees, the regulator can issue a third party compliance notice. The regulator can also impose a penalty notice where a person's either failed to comply with a compliance notice or has otherwise contravened a provision of the dashboard regulations. The penalties for that will be up to £5,000 for an individual or £50,000 in any other case, so they can be quite significant. So it sounds as though there's a, a lot for trustees to do and some potentially serious consequences for failing to comply. How long do trustees have until they need to connect to the pensions dashboard system? Connection is going to be staged over a number of years, depending on scheme size. Broadly speaking, the very largest schemes, meaning those with over 20,000 members, will need to start onboarding between April 23 and July 23, so quite a short window. 
Schemes with over 10,000 members will need to complete their onboarding between July 23 and March 24. And finally, schemes with under 1,000 members will need to start their onboarding from October 2024. And I should add that for the purposes of calculating the number of members, pensioner members aren't taken into account as they're currently outside the scope of pensions dashboards. You mentioned earlier that once the MAPS dashboard is up and running, other providers might be able to offer their own dashboards. I mean, what sort of providers do you anticipate will set up and operate pension dashboards in the future? Well, any dashboard providers will need to be authorised by the FCA. So would need to have the appetite to apply for authorization and to comply with the ongoing regulatory requirements. So it's perhaps slightly that companies used to working in a regulated environment, such as insurance companies, will be looking to venture into dashboard provision. Some of the large DC providers already have platforms which display information about an individual's pension with them, including retirement projections. So it probably isn't difficult for them to build out from that to become a pensions dashboard provider. We might also see new entrants into the market, for example, from fintech companies or startups, particularly those with an eye on future possibilities that pensions dashboards may present. And what do you think those future possibilities might be? Well, they might be things like the ability to consolidate your pension pots, particularly the smaller ones. The DWP is clear that those sorts of transactions are not going to be permitted at first, but it hasn't entirely ruled out the possibility of allowing those transactions further down the line, subject to additional FCA regulation, given the potential for scams. Okay, uh, final question before we go. Um, I mean, what support is there for trustees to help them get ready for pensions dashboards? Well, for a high level overview of the issues, the Pensions Dashboard Programme has a comprehensive website explaining a lot of the topics we've discussed today. To supplement the data standards guidance that's been issued by the PDP, the Pensions Administration Standards Association, or PASA, has established a working group and published guidance on data matching, which trustees should find helpful. And finally, we can help trustees navigate their compliance obligations with the dashboard regulations and data protection laws, including updating their scheme policies and reviewing contracts with any third parties involved. This is all summarised in our interactive PDF. That's great, Alicia. Thank you very much. As you said, um, this podcast is supported by an interactive PDF, which is available from Osborne Clark. Please do contact um, me or your usual OC contact should you want further information or advice on pensions dashboards. In the meantime, thank you for listening and I look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks time for our final Pensions 22 podcast on cybersecurity.